You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. You're listening to Metamorphosis, a podcast designed to help medical students navigate their medical careers. My name is Crystal. And my name is Iman. Today we have incoming ophthalmology PGY1s joining us today. Welcome Natalie, Tony, and Girk. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're so excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. So going back to your decision to pursue medicine, was this something that all of you were interested in right from the beginning? Can you tell us about what your path to medical school, what that looked like? Who wants to start this off? <laughs> I feel like all three of us have something very interesting to share, so I'm just going to go ahead and vote Natalie. Thank you. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, so I feel like I had a fairly traditional pathway to medicine. Um, so I went straight into my undergrad after high school. I went to the University of Guelph and studied biomedical science. Um, medicine was kind of always on my radar throughout high school and undergrad. So I chose my undergrad to be in biomed because it seemed like the perfect pre-med program for me. And it honestly was just a little plug for University of Guelph there. Um, so I found that as I was going through my degree, I was taking all these courses in physiology, anatomy, and I really enjoyed all of it. And it really, um, cemented to me that, uh, medicine was the career path of choice. So I applied um, to uh, medical schools primarily in Alberta, as that's where I'm from, and I was accepted to the University of Calgary Medical School in 2018. Um, so from there, I just carried on. So I think that um, for me, medicine was kind of always in the back of my mind, and it really just carried through, and it all seemed to fall into place for me. I guess I'll go. <laughs> Um, this is Tony speaking. Um, for me, I actually was a, a, a registered nurse before going into medicine. And, you know, if I were to go back in time, you know, as, as soon as I graduated high school, um, there was a point where, you know, I was thinking, you know what, I really wanted to do nursing. And at that point, I had no idea what really nursing was. Um, but then, you know, family and friends were like, oh, you've always wanted to become a doctor. Why don't you just go you know, to SFU and do your health sciences and, you know, go on your way to becoming a doctor. The naive Tony decided to listen to that um, and actually was at SFU for about a year where I really realized that I really want to do something clinically oriented and I really want to do nursing. So fast forward to my nursing degree at the University of Fraser Valley out in Chilliwack, which was incredible. And then I worked for about three years on the cardiac floor and, um, and that's when I started working, that's when I really realized that I really want to pursue medicine because we would be spending one-to-one -one time with the physicians, pharmacists, and the inter uh, interdisciplinary team. And I loved the role of the physician to be able to take a patient from point A to point B and have that ability, the competency, and the confidence to make those clinical decisions and problem-solve complex problems. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I really want to do this. Um, hence what brought me to medicine. Um but I also have to say I loved being a nurse and I still love it. And if I could, I would want to do both if I could. <laughs> but I don't think that's a thing. And I guess it's my turn now. For me, like the decision to medicine was pretty complex and convoluted. 
Um, <laughs> I did my undergrad in chemistry and I feel like everybody, whenever they're in sciences, they're like, oh, what are you going to do? Are you pursuing medicine or are you pursuing medicine? Right? Like, at least it's on everyone's radar. So I do remember thinking about it then, but I still wasn't actually sure. Like I was quite involved in research. Um, but to be like pretty honest, after I was done my degree, completely out of money, needed to do something. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out there and find a job and pull, put my big boy pants on. And I actually just ended up working. Um, I started working at a mill for in forestry and then worked my way up to finance. And I absolutely love that job. Like I love the people I work with. Um, and I actually thought that was going to be my career forever. Actually, I was just going to keep moving up and doing my thing. But then I started volunteering. Um, I used to volunteer quite a bit in the evenings and stuff for CNIB uh, in Vancouver. And that actually reignited my passion where it was like, oh, it's so cool being able to like help people work with them, especially going through chronic diseases. And I would always listen to their stories about physicians and how big of an integral part um, of their life they were. And that's actually what motivated me to pursue medicine. And when I really went uh, went for it and said, you know what, I'm going to apply. Um, and it's pretty much rest is history. Best decision I ever made. Greatest decision. I would 100% agree. Recommend it to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a, that's great that you guys all had very different journeys to get here, but you're all so happy now. I mean, now that you're officially done. And as we mentioned, you are um, going into ophthalmology this year. You all matched to the University of Alberta. Congratulations. Thank you. And, Thank you. And so going through medical school, how did you decide that uh, ophthalmology was the right choice for you? So Going into medical school, I 100% thought that I was not going to be an ophthalmologist. Um, a little background about me. My mom is an optometrist in Southern Alberta, um, so and I worked at her office as an optometric assistant for about seven summers throughout my high school and undergrad. So I knew like eyes were a fairly common topic of conversation around the dinner table, and I was like, nah, not for me. <laughs> and then as I was going through medical school, I found that like I really enjoyed pretty much everything we were doing. Um, but going through clerkship, I was a little bit more undecided between if I wanted to do surgery or medicine. And that's kind of the one decision point that you always start with when you're going through medical school. Like, do I want to do surgery? Do I want to do internal medicine? Like, what do I want to do? And I could not decide for the life of me. Um, so then that pushed me a little bit more towards thinking about specialties where you can do both and ophthalmology just kind of fell into place because I already knew so much about eyes, just working in the environment. Um, and so that's when I decided to apply to both ophthalmology and internal medicine. Um, but I think for me, the, like the ultimate decision to go for ophthalmology first didn't happen until I was doing my rank order list um, in CARMS. So I was always super undecided and I always was telling everyone that I was backing up with ophthalmology and applying to internal medicine first. No one believed me, of course. Um, but, uh, I thought that I really just loved the bread and butter presentations, like dry eye is so cool and, um, macular generation. Like I would, I could talk about those things to patients forever. Whereas some of the other topics of medicine, I was like, you know what, like, this is cool. Like, I'm sure I'd love to do this for the short term, but I'm not sure if I could see myself doing this, um, like decades down the line. So I think that, um, 
having that history with eyes in the past, as well as um, having the uh, benefit of having surgery and medicine was really what kind of like pushed me towards ophthalmology the most, as well as just the long-term follow-up. So ophthalmology is really cool that you can like be following up patients for many, many years. So my mom, for example, though it's slightly different field in optometry, she's following the same patients for 30 plus years. And I think that's so cool. And ophthalmology is one of the few specialties where you actually able to have that long-term follow-up. I mean, I don't really want to uh, follow this eloquently uh, said uh, description. Um, I can see why she excelled at her interviews during CARMS. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, same with Natalie, honestly, like when you were talking about the dry eyes and macular degeneration, like literally, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's talk about that. I mean, let's spend the podcast talking Please. about dry eyes <laughs> and we'll see how dry it is. I will gladly tell you about like, the Seriously, and, I, I, and I'm sure it's... It, uh, it's probably common to all people in ophthalmology is that that we're just like eye nerds and we just like love talking about the eyes which is kind of weird um but that's so cool natalie that you have that at your like dinner table while you're eating like chicken you're just talking about the eye that's pretty cool i'm completely jealous um (laughs) uh for me i didn't have a background at all or any idea of the eye um before coming to medicine um like I, I'm one of those people that I was like, what? I didn't know an ophthalmology existed, to be honest, <laughs> or knowing the difference between an ophthalmologist and an optometrist. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, I, when I came into medis- medicine, I I thought I was interested in internal medicine or cardiology, since that's where I did my nursing, and I found, and I still find um, the cardiovascular system to be fascinating. Um, so that's kind of what I started off thinking I wanted to do. Um, and then I think it was in our second year, Kirk, if I remember correctly, first or second year where we had like three, um, one hour presentations about eyes. And I remember thinking, I was like, that's so neat. Like, I didn't know this was like an area that you could do. Um, but uh, for me, it wasn't until my um, longitudinal clerkship program uh, at UBC when I was up in Terrace where it really like solidified ophthalmology is what I wanted to do. Um, And before I started there, I was trying to figure out, as most medical students are thinking about at that point of, you know, where, what do I want to do as a career? And when I was shopping around for specialties, I actually flipped it around and said, you know, and I kept asking myself, what am I interested in doing clinically? So instead of picking a specialty and seeing whether or not I liked it, I was like, okay, what is a clinical thing that I enjoy doing? So when I started asking myself those questions, it was things like, I liked working with both acute and chronic patients. I liked working with a variety of age groups. I wanted to work in different clinical settings. And I also knew that I liked working with my hands. So when I kind of affirmed what I enjoy doing clinically, then I started be like okay which specialties actually fit that um and when i asked myself those questions the ones that i was considering were uh, the mixed specialties so um ophthalmology of course ent urology and uh rural family practice was the other one so it was kind of in between those four and during my longitudinal clerkship program where i did have the opportunity to kind of um get a flavor of each specialty every single day on a rotating basis. So instead of having the block system, you know, in the morning I'd be in the emergency and then in the afternoon I might be doing ophthalmology clinic. And then at nighttime I'm on call for OB. And that was our day-to-day for an entire year where we'd just be rotating. 
And through that experience, because we had some flexibility, um, I was able to work with the amazing three ophthalmologists that are up there in Terrace on a weekly basis, pretty much, which was an incredible experience for me because I was able to see, you know, what what do ophthalmologists actually do? Um, and being able to have that continuity of care, like Natalie was mentioning, that you get to follow up on these patients that you have seen. So it was so incredibly rewarding to have a patient that I saw for like glaucoma or something on the first week of my ICC or longitudinal clerkship experience and to keep following that patient on like three month or six month basis to see how their glaucoma is doing and making sure everything's okay. And building that relationship was super neat. Um, and of course the surgeries, like, um, there's an oculoplastic surgeon there, so uh, participating in surgery and assisting to do these things like blepharoplasties, ptosis repairs, like it was incredible. I loved working with my hands. I wish I had those little loop things like he did because <laughs> I couldn't see because they're so small and my head's like in the patient's face trying to figure <laughs> to be like, yes, I see this. Um, and I loved that type of smaller, fine, um, elegant precise surgery uh and because of all the reasons you know i I just fell in love with ophthalmology um and one thing i have to say that was interesting for me um was you know i I kept thinking and i still to this day i wonder you know am i going to miss kind of the systemic medicine of it all because i'm so focused on one organ and that was a big fear of mine again coming from cardiology where you know i was involved in code blues and i still to this day love them um but one of the great things about ophthalmology is how many diseases actually present in the eye. And I remember this one particular patient who came in with this like blurred vision in one eye. And after doing the exam, we were able to find that she actually had plaques um, just uh, lodging her uh, retinal arteries. And I was like, oh my gosh, is that a plaque? And then she actually ended up having issues with the carotid stenosis, et cetera, et cetera. And that was her first presentation. She didn't have any stroke-like symptoms. There was nothing neurological other than this decreased vision in her one eye. And to be able to be that person to say, oh no, let's get these um, investigations started, get you to internal medicine doctor and get all those kind of things rolling. That like blew my mind (laughs) because I was like, awesome. There's still a lot of systemic diseases that show up in the eye and that I would be able to be a part of that. Um, And I think for all those reasons and many more, I could talk about this for hours. This is what kind of drew me into ophthalmology. I guess for me, there's a lot of reasons why I picked um, ophthalmology. I guess mine is probably in the middle of Natalie and Tony there. Um, Just a bit of background. I grew up in India and the global burden of eye diseases uh, back home is just massive. Like in medical school here, we only get one week of rotation of ophthalmology. Um, Some schools don't even get that. In India, it's like a major rotation, just like medicine is or pediatrics is. Because the burden of disease is so high. Same with dermatology back home. So anyways, I actually knew about ophthalmology from the get-go since I grew up. And then also with CNIB uh, volunteer, I do, um, I guess it was always on my radar. But the five things that are probably my favorite things um, that drew me to ophthalmology is the first two being, it's a combination of medicine and surgery, just like Natalie said. Um, even though it's a surgical subspecialty, it's actually fascinating because about probably 80% of the work ophthalmologists do is in their office. So it is actually medicine. It is coming up with those differential diagnoses um, and following up with patients. So it's it's like a beautiful combination of those two. 
Um, so those being the top ones, um, the next one being global health is massive in ophthalmology. Um, and that actually played a, played a big role because I was between internal medicine, family medicine, psychiatry. Like I loved those three as well. But global health really got me uh, where if anybody's interested in global health, I feel like ophthalmology is a fantastic place to be. There are tons of ophthalmologists or best will do missions in like um, Africa, Asia, or other developing countries as well. Again, coming back to the burden of the disease. And then, um, so those three were probably what got me. Another big one was actually when I was doing my rotations, what I realized was I'm going to have to work with majority of the ophthalmologists for the rest of my life, right? Are they the people I want to work with? And I can by far say ophthalmologists are the most nicest people love to teach, very kind, have a life outside of medicine as well. And that was something like another, that was like a slam dunk. This is something I need to do, um, which really um, solidified that I wanted to pursue ophthalmology. One thing, some people like that, some don't, which I love, is actually the research in ophthalmology is phenomenal. Like Tony talking about cardiology, cardiology has progressed so much because of research so has ophthalmology. A lot of diseases um, have gotten to a level where the quality of life of patients suffering from incurable diseases is getting better. But even then, there's tons of opportunities like retinitis pigmentosa, um, where new technologies are still coming in. And we're going to be hopefully eventually able to um, cure them or at least improve the patient's quality of life, which is something I'm absolutely fascinated in. So I guess those are my five reasons being like, it's a perfect blend of medicine and surgery with a bit of global health in there, some research in there, and you get to work with pretty awesome people out there. So that's probably what got me. In, um, that's what I was thinking when I ranked ophthalmology at the top, to be honest. And if I may add and just elaborate on what Gerg said, his fifth a point that was so eloquently also stated and so organized. Um, I love that idea of quality of life. And I think for ophthalmology, you do our big focus is on quality of life. We're such visual creatures. And I think a lot of the times we do take advantage, our vision for granted, myself included, actually. Um, and I think the things that we can do to restore vision or to prevent progression of a disease, it is really to do with quality of life um, so that people can see and the people can do the things that they enjoy. And, and I think that's such a privilege that we have um, in this field uh, to be able to focus on the patient's quality of life. Um, so it's no secret that opto is like a pretty competitive field. Um I'm wondering how early into med school did you have your heart set on optho and I guess how did you prepare yourself to be a, a candidate um, to go through the CARMS process? Honestly, Crystal, best field, at least consider it, at least <laughs> yeah. do an elective, then make a decision. Agreed. Best no conflict of interest whatsoever, make. of course, coming from the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> My unbiased opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I can set the bar low if you guys want. I actually think even if you are planning late and considering it, it is still okay. Uh, personally, 
I had done some research in opto and I had, but having said that, like I had done research in other fields as well. Um, and even in third year due to COVID, a lot of my rotations had gotten canceled. Like um, the opto and rotation had gotten shortened because mine was at the very end. So I actually finalized my decision in fourth year during my electives. I did about four weeks of electives and that's when I really finalized my decision. So I would say from this one story, like it is possible to match, even though if you didn't have your heart set on it from the get go. But like having said that, I totally was involved in research from before. So and I can't speak to all like all other specialties, of course, but I think this question also does apply and translate somewhat because, you know, I, there's many stories of including people from our year um, that switch literally last minute from like something like an example would be like from, I don't know. I don't want to give away this person's change, but let's say it was like from family medicine to like vascular surgery and literally they changed last minute. Um, so I think it's, it is definitely a possible thing to do. Um, for me, I, I did kind of start planning, I guess, in year three when I became interested in it. And, and I, at that time I do recall being like, Oh no, why am I interested in such a competitive specialty? <laughs> and you know, the things that you hear a lot of is, you know, you need to have research, you need to have all these like, I don't know, a hundred publications um, within the field of study. And, and I actually don't know if that's true. Um, and similar to Gurk, like for me, I definitely don't have a strong research background. And I knew when I was um, creating my kind of CARMS application, um, that was the one CADMED role that I personally felt that I lacked because I didn't have much research. Um, but having said that, I think, you know, the CADMED role is scholar. It isn't research. So there's a lot of ways you can actually demonstrate uh, that you do have an interest in the scholarship of medicine. And to be honest, I think that is something that does get overlooked that, you know, all the other different projects that you do, um, it is still showing that you are interested in scholarship. So for myself, I didn't have any publications. And to this day, I still do not have any publications. Um, but I was very much interested in uh, quality improvement projects. And again, having my background in cardiac, I or cardiology, pardon me, I did a lot of projects around that um, in rural and remote communities. And um, and I really enjoy community health teaching. Again, coming from a nursing background, I really enjoyed that. So I did a lot of uh, things throughout uh, first, second, and third year, actually, doing community outreach, teaching um, youth around health topics of interest. So up in Terrace, you know, there was a huge incidence of sexually transmitted infection. So I decided, you know what, let's have discussions. Let's reach out to the community. Let's talk to the uh, uh, to the youth about you know, what is it that we can do to hopefully decrease that incidence? Um, so all those kind of projects, I think, is still a very good example of what you can be or how you can demonstrate that you are a scholar. Um, I totally forgot your question, not going to lie. I got too excited talking about sexually transmitted infections, apparently. <laughs> um, the competitiveness of ophthalmology. And then I got lost. <laughs> Save me, Natalie. Um, so I guess I can chat for a bit as well. And then Tony, you can jump in after. Um, so for me, it's a little bit different in Calgary because we are a th three-year program. I had to make the decision really early, which was, um, pros and cons to that. Um, so for us, we had to start booking our electives one year after we started medical school, which is insane. 
Um, so because I had ophthalmology kind of like in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what, let's just book some opto electives just in case this is something that I really want to pursue. Um, so I did that. And, um, so that was kind of like my foot in the door for opto. I also, um, while I was booking what we call our pre-clerkship electives, which happened in the summer, um, well, a year after we start as well. So technically in second year for us in Calgary. Um, as I was booking my pre-clerkship electives, um, I did one week in ophthalmology and um, the preceptor I reached out to just happened to say like, oh, we have a research project that some med students are working on. Do you want to join it? So these, this, it kind of just like fell into my lap. So I was really lucky that way that otherwise I'm not sure how I would have ended up with anything really research related, which again, like Tony said, not necessary, but is something that you always want to keep in mind if you're applying to a competitive specialty. Like that's not a secret in ophthalmology for sure. And again, like both Tony and Girk said, um, doing other activities, um, like other scholarly activities as well. So in Calgary here, we have the Calgary Guide to Understanding Disease, um, which is um, a kind of like flow sheet that we have published online. And so I did a couple slides about retinal detachments and things like that. So there's other ways to show that you're interested. Um, and then going forward, I managed to, because of COVID, a couple of my electives got canceled. But anyways, um, eventually I got my uh, four electives in opto. And it was really, like I said, kind of down to the last minute for CARMS where I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to, like, do I want to rank opto first? Like, I don't know. But eventually I did. Um, and it all kind of worked out that way. So like, yes, opto is very competitive. And I had advisors throughout medical school say, like, don't apply. It's too competitive. And I didn't listen to them. And I guess it worked out. So, like, you need to, like, yes, it is completely doable to match ophthalmology, but it is competitive. And that's not a secret. And you need to figure out if you, if you want to have a backup plan, what that backup plan is going to be. And for me, it was internal medicine or potentially another year. And I think that's such an important point that if you do have the passion for something, and it doesn't have to be ophthalmology, even though it is the best specialty, of course, um, <laughs> as long as you have the passion to and the drive to be interested in doing what you're doing, people are going to notice, especially during your elective when you're when you're like, oh, that's fascinating. Like, let's talk more about that. And people are going to know. Um, and I think you know, having that passion is important um, and that you are doing whatever specialty, whether that be opto or not, um, that you do it for the reasons that, you know, gives you that satisfaction in that profession. And of course, there's other consideration things like lifestyle, you know, what, uh, like, how do you see your life being in the next few years? Those things are important. And, um, but at the end of the day, I mean, hopefully we as we are talking about ophthalmology, all three of us have hopefully somewhat demonstrated that we actually are fascinated by the eye and that we want to learn more about it and we want to continue learning and hopefully add to the advancement of the field. So thank you so much for your such well thought out uh, responses. I feel like we got a lot of like uh, different advice from all three of you. Do you have any advice for students, I guess, who are starting out in their uh, medical careers and wanting to learn more about the field of opto, like how they, I guess, can reach out to mentors or learn more about the field? I feel like this is a difficult question, especially just given with, you know, COVID and the limited opportunities. Hopefully in the next few years, things will be changing. Um, and and I'm sure Girk and Natalie have amazing advice to share um, this is something that worked for me. And again, this is 
just one person's experience. Uh, but I think one of the the best things is if you are truly interested in ophthalmology, wherever you go, I think it's important to communicate that um, and really advocate for yourself to um, learn about ophthalmology. And by that, what I mean is, you know, if you are an emergency rotation and you are interested in ophthalmology, I think it's important that you have that transparent communication with your preceptor and say, hey, I am interested in ophthalmology. I still find emergency interesting. Um, but if there are cases that come up that's related to the eye, may I please see that patient? And I think the more and more you kind of get uh, exposed to ophthalmology in various realms and not just in ophthalmology rotations, I think that just adds to your knowledge and experience of what ophthalmology really is like. And in addition to that, I think you know, ophthalmology being a very uh, specialized kind of um, type of medicine and surgery um, where, you know, there isn't a huge emphasis on the assessments and the lingo and the jargon that accompanies the field. Um, I remember always being like, I don't know how to do a visual acuity assessment that well. <laughs> I don't really know how to check extraocular movements that well. Um, and I think my big focus during third year was to improve my assessment related to ophthalmology. And I think if you are able to do that in your rotations, like neurology, emergency, CT or whatever, um, when you do do your ophthalmology electives, then you're more equipped to being able to see and partake in the discussion and the cases that are ophthalmology specific. So I think the biggest advice I would say from my personal point of view is that if you can just try your best to learn the ophthalmologically related is that a word ophthalmologically it sounds long and fancy cool um ophthalmic specific <laughs> um serve uh, assessments and um kind of that lingo so to speak so that you are prepared and you are able to see more uh, diverse uh pathologies and stuff in your ophthalmology rotations and i think that'll kind of help you be more um uh, open to new experiences and also get a lot more experiences than you otherwise would not if you didn't have those skills. I can, uh, I guess I can give a, d a little bit of a different perspective. I totally agree with Tony there as well. Um, I guess for me, I feel a butt coming. But, well, no, 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 no. I totally agree with you. I guess I just didn't, but about that. I just, I never thought about that in clerkship and fourth year. Um, so what I, in my personal opinion, um, something I would recommend is actually, if you are interested in ophthalmology, talk to someone within the field as well um, and navigate that process. You know, a lot of attendings are very busy. They have their own things to do as well. But I'm sure you could also talk to a resident. Um, and usually they're really willing to help out, give you advice on what things you should be doing, or at least share their two cents. So I would say, reach out to the residents, um, be creative in networking. I know because of COVID it is more difficult, but be creative. You might know someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows a resident who's in ophthalmology. Pretty much that's what I did. Reach out to like your fourth line, like, you know, on LinkedIn, you see like the fourth or third connections. Reach out to those if you have to. Uh, so that would be my one piece of advice. And if somebody still can't find anyone, they're more than welcome to email me even. And I would love to chat to them, which I'm sure Tony and Natalie would be as well. That's one. Um, and the second thing would be 
personally, I think I'm not the greatest at assessments and stuff like that. But I would say as long as you're a good clinical clerk and a medical student in internal medicine or pediatrics, they're all the same thing. At the end of the day, I took my four years to be like, I'm here for medicine, right? I'm here in medical school to learn medicine over the four years. As long as you work hard, you show you're interested, um, word does travel and people do talk regardless of the rotation you're at. So I would say no matter which rotation it is, try really hard because a lot of things do come around. Even in ophthalmology, Tony had mentioned um, previously one of the experiences where he saw a really cool case. I'll say the same thing. Like a lot of the times in a comprehensive practice, if you're dealing with glaucoma, cataract, it can be a little bit more challenging to impress, right? Because it's very bread and butter. But at the same time, there will be a zebra every once in a while and you will be able to flex. You just have to wait it out for the zebra and that zebra might come from internal medicine or pediatrics or something else. And that's that's your chance to shine because you really worked hard. You know how to assess those patients. You know who to refer to when needed for those presentations, right? So that would be my two cents. One, be creative in networking and reach out to residents um, who might be able to guide you through the process. And the second one being just be a good medical student. Like we're here to learn, show that you're willing to learn and you're hardworking no matter what rotation, even your most hated rotation, you should be the hardest worker on the floor. That That's my advice to anyone looking at it. I 100% agree with everything you've said. <laughs> me as well. I'll just add on um, if you're someone like me who's a little too shy to reach out to residents or attendings directly. Um, I don't know about UBC, but like University of Calgary, we have an ophthalmology interest group um, that is organized by the upper years. So if that's something that like you're not sure, like even what ophthalmology is, you're not at that point of like wanting to reach out to a resident because you don't even know what an eyeball is, go chat to the people in your interest group and be like, hey, I don't know what ophthalmology is. Like, can you kind of like give an explanation or is there anyone you know that I can shadow, something like that. They also, for us, hosted um, like a slit lamp training night. So a few of my classmates went to that. So it's just something that if you, like, even if you don't want to do ophthalmology, but maybe eMERGE, maybe family medicine, something else, um, you're going to have to know what an eye is at some point. And just knowing some of the basics can really go a long ways. Um, so just reaching out even to your fellow classmates, even if you have someone in your class who's interested in ophthalmology, just like chat to them, see what it's about. And so it's, you're not having to take those like big steps into reaching out to like official people. Yeah, thanks all of you guys for those uh, kind of tips and different things to look out for for clerkship. I think that'll be really nice to be able to put those into practice. And um, most of you mentioned kind of having a different field of interest as well, even in the CARMS process. And um, we've learned a little bit about parallel planning. I don't really understand what it is. Um, but I was wondering if you guys wanted to speak a little bit about how you were kind of making those decisions right up into the rank order list and, and how you were thinking of different fields or um, kind of making those decisions, especially I think a lot of people are interested because opto is so competitive, as you mentioned, Natalie. So just knowing 
would you kind of have a different specialty in mind or or risk being unmatched for the year? I think that really comes down to who you are. So for me, I was like, I would be completely happy if I had matched to internal medicine. Like that was never an issue. Uh, So I think for me, it was more of like, well, I really like internal medicine. I really like ophthalmology. We're just going to let CARMS decide for me what I end up in. Um, But I know some people who like ophthalmology is their like one true passion. And that is literally all they would like to do for the rest of their lives. And that's totally fine too. So I know people who only apply to ophthalmology, but in, I think that um, if you're going that route, you need to just like keep in mind that ophthalmology is competitive and just kind of in the back of your mind, think about what is their possibility if I don't match? And then what would kind of that look like from there? But like I said, it really depends on the person. And for me, I was going to be happy with either. So I applied to both. I guess um, I would 100% agree with Natalie as well. I applied to four. Even that was tough. Like if the chance was given to me, I probably would have applied to at least 10. But Girk, you're crazy. Like getting <laughs> oh references goodness. for 10 is really difficult. Oh it's really, really difficult. Um, I could not make up my mind what I wanted to do. And I had like come down to these four where I was like, you know, these are the top four I can do. And I'd be happy. I don't care which one it is. And even while ranking, it was like a complete mishmash because I was ranking per program, um, which I was like, oh, this program is interesting. And even though like some programs in Halifax, but it was more interested than the program closer to me, I'd still rank it higher. Um, Anyways, I had like a lot going. Uh, But having said that, like especially having interviews online is absolutely revolutionary, right? Because the barrier to interview was the walk, the 10 foot walk from my bedroom to my office. (laughs) Like that was literally the barrier to interview. And you could space them out within 30 minutes if you wanted. You could do 15 minutes if you wanted, right? Like you could do multiple interviews suddenly within the day. So I also had that um, luxury where I was like, oh, I can do like three, four interviews a day. Not a problem. But having said that, I'm not sure if that'll be possible when things go back to um, if things like if the interviews aren't online. So I think like a lot of it is fluctuant. But exactly what Natalie said if it is ophthalmology and that's all you can see yourself doing, probably it's beneficial because especially there's even research fellowships right after as well. And even, I believe, don't quote me on this, UBC um, gets you involved in a master's program as well. If there is a gap year, um, we'll have to double check that. I've heard that at least. And there's research fellowships in Ottawa, Toronto, McMaster, and possibly more um, directly related to vision research. But at the same time, if you're interested in something else too, things somehow just work out. So that would be my two cents in it. Mm-hmm. And parallel planning does, you know, it, it, you can do it. Um, people thought like anytime people would be like, oh, what are you applying to? What are you interested in? And I would say ophthalmology and rural family medicine. And they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, it is possible. And and again, going back to what I said, you know, I, 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 I went from choosing a specialty from the place of, um, what I, what do I like clinically? And some of those reasons that I mentioned, you know, like acute and chronic um, diseases, seeing patients like a diverse group of ages, um, diverse pro- patient population, working in clinic, OR, hospital, etc. Those are common in both. Um, so I think it is possible to parallel plan, even if they're like completely different. Um, 
because like Gert was saying earlier too, it isn't necessarily like there's a lot of, um, uh, what's the word cross pollination between different specialties. There's things that you can take from one specialty and apply it to another. And I think learning that foundation of medicine or surgery it's transferable everywhere. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's possible to parallel plan. And and I am a big supportive of this eight-week national elective cap that we that was introduced in our year because you can only do eight weeks in a certain given area, which means that you are, in a sense, forced to explore other options. And oh, perhaps forced is the wrong word, but you have the opportunity now to explore different options and say, oh, I'm also interested in this and have that ability to um, experience other things. And I think those in combination helps you not only become a great kind of um, a, a well-rounded physician at the end of your fourth year, uh, but it also allows you to play around and to explore different uh, plans if you do have one. Especially because that's why we're in medical school, right? Four years, we're doing medicine. Totally. Not jumping yeah. right into a specialty. <laughs> exactly. And just to add, oh by the way natalie i cannot believe you had to make decisions around your <laughs> don't even ask. i it's cannot imagine <laughs> but i am 100 yeah, um, in support of the eight-week cap as well because <laughs> it calgary have like limited elective time so it kind of evens out the playing field for those three-year schools totally and again like girk said like i learned so many things that outside of neuro- uh, ophthalmology where i was able to apply to ophthalmology at the end of it all like it was great and i'm so glad i did those other electives um and one little plug-in for longitudinal clerkship programs across the country. I think <laughs> one of the great things about longitudinal programs is that because you're kind of rotating through so many different electives, the focus really becomes on learning that foundational skill of what does it mean to be a physician or a surgeon. And I think because of that focus, I think longitudinal clerkships are fantastic because you're developing those skills rather than being um, rather than focusing on kind of the nuances and the minutia of each specialty. So I personally think the longitudinal clerkship program is great. Um, and I know a lot of time people have misconceptions that oh, only people who are interested in rural family practice should do them. And I completely disagree. Again, I, I'm interested in ophthalmology and I uh, the longitudinal clerkship program was like one of the best um, uh, stepping stones in a sense that, that encouraged and um, supported me in um, kind of directing myself to ophthalmology. I love all of that great advice that you guys just shared about um longitudinal clerkship but also uh supporting parallel planning i think that's really awesome and i like the talk about um focusing on learning more foundational skills in medicine rather than focusing on a specific specialty um out of my personal curiosity i'm wondering how the virtual carms tour what that was like because i heard that out of province electives were canceled and i'm just curious how how did your last year um, of med school go? Because I think it was, it was online for us, but it was partially online for you guys. So I'm wondering how that went. Oh, this is a big topic. Who wants to tackle this? (laughs) You know, I can actually start this one because I'm super passionate about my fourth year. Um, Amazing. I never had the in-person, but I thought like for me, it was nothing but positive. I got to rent the same place for all of my fourth year, did not have to travel, um, saved a bunch of money. And I actually thought I like I had time to study after school, right? Like you're not exhausted when you're, the traveling does take a toll. But having said that, I'm sure that's fine too. 
So I didn't think it negatively impacted me personally. Like I still interviewed um, across like at most of the school. So like I, I didn't think it really negatively impacted me. And even the interviews, um, we actually got a pretty good sense. Every school was really passionate. They had done social nights before the interviews to get us used to what our program is, their program was about, and even during interviews as well. It was difficult. It's definitely nicer when you get to meet them one-on-one, which I do believe like would have been much better. But I thought overall, the programs actually really stepped up and did a pretty good job. I was quite happy with the last year. Definitely some flaws, but overall, I thought it was a really positive experience for me. I'm not sure. What do you guys think? Yeah, so um, for me, I'm not sure how the UBC curriculum is laid out for your last year, but for us in Calgary, we started our electives um, in January of 2020. Um, So I was able to get nine weeks of electives prior to being pulled out. Um, so didn't save that much money, but oh well. Um, but going back in, obviously the med schools across the country were awesome at uh, making sure that everyone was going back in at the same time. We were all going to have the same educational experience. So in terms of how COVID affected our training itself, I honestly didn't see a huge difference um, in the actual clerkship rotations. Um, in terms of CARMS, I think exactly like Eric said, it was great having those socials before um, each of the interviews, being able to do multiple interviews per day if you wanted to, if you had that luxury, which I did not. Um, And so I think that overall, the whole CARMS experience, like every one of the schools, like we said, did everything to try to make it as welcoming as possible given the circumstances. A lot of um, schools also created like social media pages so we could kind of get to try to get to know some of the residents. Um, and get to know the program a bit better, even if we couldn't go physically see it. Um, So I think that, of course, being able to do an elective at a site is preferable because you get to know the people that you're working with on a daily basis, and it can kind of guide your decision-making that way. But given the circumstances, all the schools did an awesome job at uh, making a virtual CARMS tour really successful. I 100% agree, too. Um, the biggest drawback for me personally was not being able to visit the sites. And and despite, you know, the like Natalie and Girk said, the schools did an excellent job of promoting their program, I think, overall. Um, but despite that, you know, not actually being there in person to check out the facilities and kind of, you know, feel out the vibe of these potentially your colleagues for the next five years, like that one was the big thing, I think, uh, that was the drawback of doing everything virtually. Um, having said that, though, honestly, like I remember like Girk and I knew each other, of course, before we entered the CARMS tour. But um, like Natalie and I, we met at the U of A um, social and that's when we connected. And I was like, oh, she's fantastic. She sings. Like <laughs> She travels. She seems interesting. Oh <laughs> and again, those socials, as difficult as it is, doing it through the camera and all that, like I I still felt like I was able to connect with people in an authentic way. Um, Yeah. And, and, but that is a challenge for some people. Like I feel comfortable being on camera, but that's also because I'm just loud and have a theater background. So (laughs) I'm just like in everyone's face. Um, But I think for some people, uh, my partner who actually, who went through the CARMS tour, of course, um, had some challenges of, you know, being themselves 
in front of the camera because it's not a common thing where you're just like looking directly into the camera and actually talking. It's actually kind of awkward even for me, um, but you do get used to it. But I think that's probably one of the challenges that many other people had where they felt like, oh, am I going to be really me during the interview? Because there's this kind of fourth wall that's in place. Um, but I think through practicing and um, doing practice interviews with your friends who's able to provide you actual, uh, uh, like, genuine uh, constructive feedback, um, I think, you know, many people did well um, and overcame that awkwardness. Especially, remember when in the socials, there were, like, circles of 10, 15 people all together. You can't tell who each one is. So whenever you talk, I, I would never <laughs> talk personally because I was like... Whenever I talk, 15 people can hear me. Like, it, it's just intimidating, right? Especially when you're in person. Could you imagine a 15-person circle? It would be the entire room. Whereas on these um, online events, you could have a 15-person circle. So that, that, I, I would totally understand why some people would find it challenging. I found that challenging as well. But you get used to it. Yeah. Just like Tony said. Yeah, it seems like the common thread of this year is getting used to virtual socializing, no matter what you were doing, I guess. Um, but since you did mention, Tony, that you had a partner who also did the match, um, I was curious if you did the couples match and how that went. Ooh, the big question. Uh, yes, we did couples match. And fortunately, and I'm so grateful that we both matched to U of A. I matched to ophthalmology, of course, and my partner uh, matched to pediatrics. No, I, the couples match, I think it just adds that ele extra element of um, difficulty and juggling because not only are you now considering your own personal choices, and and trust me, I had lots of uh, existential crises <laughs> throughout the CARM store, <laughs> um, but also to now consider your partners as well. Um, and I think the biggest thing, the challenge, not necessarily a challenge, uh, but uh, uh, a thing you need to kind of overcome is... Um, the communication around the whole process. And I think that's probably the key thing that really helped my partner and I, um, because you're going to have difficult discussions where you could be like, you know what, I really want to prioritize my learning over us being in the same city. And having those open discussions that are not necessarily easy to have, I think it's, you know, it's a lot to put on a relationship, but being open and being transparent and really truly knowing what you want as an individual before you kind of bring that into the couple decision, I think is very important. Um, and, it, and just for those people who are interested in couples matching, um, it's also, it does kind of place another level of commitment in a sense to your relationship because you are committing in a sense to being like, I want to be in the same location with you for the next, you know, two to five years. Um, but I mean, that, that wasn't a real discussion to have between my partner and I because we knew that was going to happen. But <laughs> I think, again, there are questions that come up during the couples match process that require you to really dig deep into your own personal and the couple's goals as what you are wanting. Um, but at the end of the day, I say trust your gut instinct. To be honest, I baffled between doing couples matches or couples matching or individually matching because I knew that I was going to apply for a specialty that was quite competitive and pediatrics for this year as well as far as I understand was quite competitive so we both kind of went into thinking oh no like are we going to in a sense negatively impact one another and 
you know, there's lots of uh, sessions out there around the couples match process and things. And it, 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 at the end of the day, it really doesn't um, decrease your chance, you know, of matching to a certain specialty if your partner match or applies for a certain specialty. Um, again, I think it's more to do with the discussion around, you know, are you prepared to have those difficult decisions that you may not necessarily would have had to have um, if you went individual with matching. So I'm so glad I did it though. <laughs> but again, that's also coming from somebody who did get their top choice program. So <laughs> thank you so much for talking a little bit about the couples batch. I feel like uh, I don't really know a lot about it, but I've heard a lot of stories about people having creating like 400 different um, choices or I don't, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got it. Yeah, it's the different, uh, uh, I guess they're called choices or rank uh, rank lists. Yeah, and different ranks. And I think uh, we had, oh, geez, I'm trying to remember now. It was in the 700 something. It was ridiculous. And you have to manually input each one. Like, I'm not even kidding. And that was with us. And that's with us limiting some of the places that we interview. And I said, I don't like this pairing. So you actually have to individually go through um, each rank and say, are we happy where it is in this list of 700? Um, Which is kind of crazy. And to be honest, I feel like after the 200th one, it's kind of like low yield. (laughs) But again, like you, you want to have that is the one thing you have control over the fact that you can list some of these things. And I think that's the big kind of thing that they talk about that you have control as a couple if you're entering the couples match you have control over where you are both going to match um whether that be the site or the program or location on the program i mean so yeah not uncommon to have that many uh, uh options uh but yeah that was not fun not gonna lie <laughs> so if i can take us back to when you guys first started out med school as uh i guess pre-clerkship pre-clerks do you have any advice um, if you could go back and tell yourself something for how to be, I guess, a good pre-clerk or anything that you'd want to say to your previous self? I'm going to reiterate what Gurk has said, and I'm going to organize it like he did because it sounded great, um, into three points. <laughs> uh, one, I think what Gurk said around being a nice person to work with and and that involves not only your preceptor or your immediate team members but also the nurses housekeeping staff uh social worker whoever is in your bubble um i think it's important that you are you know a genuinely kind person because throughout clerkship throughout residency i'm sure you know everyone's really wanting to work with someone that they want to enjoy working with. And I'm so grateful again to be in this team of Girk and Natalie. And I know we haven't met in person necessarily. Oh, Girk, I have, but you know, we haven't all gotten together in person, but I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm so grateful for that I have such an excellent team that I know that I'm going to enjoy working with. Um, so number one, be nice. <laughs> um, number two, um, I say just be, Again, I, Kirk already said this, but I think just wherever you go, just do your best to learn as much as you can there and treat everyone and every experience as a teaching moment. Um, and by doing that, you're going to gain so many more experiences and be open to all these new skills and um, things that are that, that hidden curriculum that you may not necessarily have learned if you were just like, oh, I'm just going to get over this elective. Um, I think it's really important to do that. And I think in the whole CARMS process as well, I think 
your performance um, in other rotations, I personally think it actually counts for a lot more than we think it does. Um, so even if you're interested in ophthalmology and you have a, I don't know, an obstetric um, rotation, still do your best in it. Still be open to all the learning and teachings that everyone else has to offer for you. And number three, this is a very practical thing. I would say just pick one resource to study off of and just like stick with it. Um, I, I feel like I kind of not that I studied like crazy amounts. I probably should have studied more. Oh, I guess that's a fourth point study. Um, but, um, point three, point one. Um, I, I would say, you know, I wish I picked up Toronto notes or something and just studied off of that and really focused on the approaches to things. I feel like, again, I fell into the... Um, habit of trying to learn the minute details of a specialty but i'm like you know what i just need like let me focus on the approach to abnormal uterine bleeding i don't know why i'm doing so much obstetric um discussions i I would say just uh, focus on the the big pictures like if i have a patient that comes in with x problem like what am i going to (laughs) do what is what are the some of those specific questions i need to ask and what are some of the initial investigations i need to get going because Great. If you can figure that out, you have all the other team members to come help you <laughs> afterwards. So I would say focus on taking one resource of whatever works best for you, um, whether that be Harrison's or Toronto Notes or Calgary Black Book. I'm just going to throw that in there for Natalie. <laughs> and and really focus on that big picture thing to, again, get that foundation of medicine, your approaches to different um, pathologies or symptoms, I should say. Or the questions Tony used to create oh, for us. <laughs> he did it like all through first and second year for every exam. I used them for every exam. <laughs> like, are they even relevant anymore? <laughs> I feel like medicine's changing all the time that I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Those are my three um, plus and a half point. Totally. I completely agree with that. And I know that like being in pre-clerkship, you're like, sure, be a nice person. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Like, obviously. But it actually it goes so far. Like, honestly, the best feedback I've gotten on rotations has been when I'm like, oh, let me just go get the patient a water. Like, don't bother. You guys are busy. Like, I can do that. And everyone is just so grateful. So it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Just be a nice person. And it will really take you a long ways with the entire team that you're working with. And um, kind of going off the second point as well, just trying your hardest at every rotation that you're in. So for us, um, going into ophthalmology, my last rotation was um, obstetrics and gynecology. So I'm never going to have to do that ever again. So if I'm on a plane and someone's having a baby, I want to at least know somewhat how to deliver it safely. So I just kind of like kept that in mind that this may be my only opportunity to learn these skills. And I want to be somewhat competent at those skills. So really taking those opportunities that if someone asks if you want to do a specific procedure or um, wants to take on an extra case, something like that, just say yes. And because the learning is incredible from what you get from that. And um, just last point here is just show up on time as well. People really appreciate when you show up on time to rotations. (laughs) Yeah, I'll probably not second, I guess third everything um, Natalie and Tony have said exactly that Um, only thing I there are two (laughs) things I would add to it clerkship can be pretty busy and this is something actually COVID taught me like do remember that there is a world outside of clerkship especially some of the students like myself I'm in like start reaching mid-20s late 20s and life gets to you family starts getting to you as well so do spend the time with them 
Um, because life's never going to get slower and you might not have this time again. So make sure to make that time for yourself, whether it is gym, hanging out with friends, hanging out with family. Because after CARMS, I'm not going to see my friends that are in the city I'm at anymore, right? I'm moving to Edmonton. So that would be probably the one thing I would say, like really um, do prioritize a bit of life as well. Take some time um, and recuperate. I did that during my two months off in COVID and so thankful I did that. And the second thing I would say is actually something Iman was talking um, and I were talking about earlier, something I don't do very well. And I wish I could tell myself, like really do believe in yourself. Um, I remember so many times it was like, oh, am I even going to match, right? What's going to happen like this and that? And then you have a nervous breakdown, this and that. But the reality is we all applied to medical school and we got in. We all are writing every single exam and we're doing okay. We're showing up to clinics. We're still doing okay, right? Like it's, it's something you have to remember, like really believe in yourself and especially like if you are going to go for a competitive specialty, I said this, I remember having this conversation. It was like 11 p.m. at night. And one of the third year clinical clerks from Victoria was leaving the building as I was going to bed because I was on my CTU rotation about to go sleep until we get a call. And he was like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about ophthalmology, but like it's pretty competitive, this and that. And I told him, you know, it totally is. But at the same time, like make sure to at least apply because in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, do you want to wonder what would have happened if you had just thrown in, like, it's literally, you write a personal statement, everything else is very similar, and you just push submit, it's like $30 for the application, right? I don't know what the exact amount is, but like, do you really want to wonder in 30 years, or what would have happened, or more so, April 21st? What would, that's like the day post harms, what would have happened if you had actually submitted that application or not? don't want to have those regrets. So those are probably the two things I would say, like really focus on the now, also focus on things outside of medicine, be well-rounded. And the second thing being like, really believe in yourself and capture the moment. And if you want to do something, no matter how competitive it is, you deserve to be on that floor that day. You're there for a reason. Make sure to apply. So those are the two things I would say, including everything they said. I feel like I need to applaud. <laughs> I just wish I told myself that, right? Like how many times I remember being like, oh, yeah. second guessing myself probably every second of every day, right? Yep. So, yep. yeah. In the interviews too. And that brings us to the end of our episode today. Thank you so much to our ophthalmology guests, Natalie, Tony, and Gurk. What a wonderful chat with such wonderful group of people. Seriously wishing them all the best as they embark on their journey through residency. For more episodes of Metamorphosis, look for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 